Welcome to Forte Catholic Radio. This is your host, Taylor Schroll. It's great to be in here recording on a Tuesday evening in the Red Sea Radio Intergalactic Headquarters in College Station, Texas at St. Mary's Catholic Center, the Catholic Student Center for Texas A&M University. Whoop. That's what they say around here. Whoop. I'm not a member of the club. Uh, but there's no Aggies. Oh, there is one Aggie here that would yell at me, but she's probably the nicest person you'll ever meet, so she won't yell at me. Hey, Mackenzie, how are you? Okay, cool. Nice to see you. All right, so <laughs> what the audience doesn't know is if, if you're actually here or not. They can't tell that your mouth is now dropping. You're like, what? What are you doing? You won't let me talk. It's fine. Okay, so today we've got a great show for you with nobody in the audience, no Mackenzie and no Producer Sam. I'm just kidding. Everybody's here. Producer Sam has a great segment for us uh, in, our, in our final segment of the day. You're going to love it. It may be my new favorite segment of all time, and that's saying something because I've come up with literally all the rest of them. So this is the first one that's not my idea, and I think it might be my favorite one. That should tell you a little something about me. So... Uh, today I'm going to, we're going to kind of finish up, uh, it's kind of happened accidentally where we kind of had this series on peace running throughout our first segment of the last couple shows. We started two episodes ago and we, we are going to finish that today. And then the second s- segment of today, we're going to be talking to Anthony D'Ambrosio from the Catholic Creatives Group, Catholic's Creative Podcast talking about their new project called eight beats it's a looks really cool i've seen a lot of the promo videos a lot of my friends are involved it's going to be a really sweet thing and you're going to want to tune in to hear about that and then as promised in the third segment we're going to introduce a new segment i'm not going to say much more but stick around it's going to be great all right so here we go two weeks ago we started talking about peace because I wrote a talk for a retreat called Rest in P- R.I.P., Rest in His Peace. We kind of threw that in there, right? And uh, if I write a talk, I just want to milk it for all it's worth. I'll give it, you know, eight or nine times until I get tired of the message, you know. Uh, I'll use it on the radio. Most of the time, I'll like, if I give like a 30-minute talk, I condense it on the radio down to 17 minutes and we'll just get out of here. But this talk, it was like so many stories and so many different scriptures that I had it all here, but I was only able to get through a third of it three weeks ago or two weeks ago, whatever. And then uh, another third of it last week. So this week we're finishing it up. Two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus appearing to his apostles after the resurrection uh, in, the, in the upper room. Everybody was there. He said, peace be with you. They all went, ah, because he walked through a wall. They thought he was dead. Uh, you could go back two podcasts ago and listen to it if you haven't gotten that. Last week, we talked about the dude that missed out on the first story, my boy Thomas, uh, who was, was not there, doubted a little bit. <clears throat> we talked about that in the first segment of last week's podcast. And this week, we're doing our, our final time that we're going to talk about on the show where Jesus appears to his apostles after his resurrection. So there's this guy named Peter that you've probably heard of. He's a uh, first pope. First uh, doofus recorded in the Gospel of John. <laughs> He's a, a first of a few things. First fisherman that never caught any fish. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. First person crucified upside down. That might be true. First person I know of. Because <laughs> Jesus was crucified right side up. And Peter was like, I can't. I, I can't. I don't deserve that. It's like, well, you are getting the death penalty. How much worth can it be? He's like, oh, crucify me upside down. Okay, so first of a lot of things. But... Here's another Peter story that I actually find quite interesting because it's one of those stories that of the resurrection stories, I think it might be, at least the beginning of it might be one of the least popular. The ending of it's one of the most popular. What does that mean, Taylor? You haven't told us anything. I know. I'm going to get there. So here we go. It says in John chapter 21 that the apostles were there. This is after Jesus had already appeared to them. So you would think that after Jesus appears to these people, to these apostles, it's like, Man, everything you said was true, Jesus. Like, we didn't believe you when you said you're going to destroy the temple and come back in three days. I wasn't quite sure if you were the Messiah when you died, especially, because I thought you were going to, like, save our people. Um, I wasn't whole sure about that, like, eating your body thing, but, I mean, you did say you were going to die and come back to life, so I guess everything else you said was true. You'd think they'd be wanting to spread this message with everybody and go be the great evangelist we all know them to be, right? No. They're sitting in a room all by themselves again. And Peter, the great leader, Peter, 
leader, Peter. That's funny. I didn't even plan that. He says to the apostles, uh, I'm going fishing. The uh isn't in there. That's just my uh, interpretation of Peter. I'm going fishing. And they said to him, no, we should go out and evangelize and said, nope. What they said was, uh, we'll come with you. So all the apostles are going out fishing. So they went, got out of the boat, but that night they caught an abundance of fish. Again, no, if you've been paying attention, these apostles who were fishermen were terrible at their jobs. Absolutely terrible. I'm glad they ended up becoming better at being fishers of men because they were terrible actual fishermen. There, there's only, it's only recorded that Peter caught one fish in the gospel. He didn't catch anything at the, at the beginning when Jesus called him to be his apostle. He didn't catch anything at the end. <laughs> in this story, there's only one fish that Peter caught. And that's when Jesus pulled one of the greatest pranks of all time. It was a, a version of the story that we had in, in the Mass the other day. You know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. So somebody in a different gospel, somebody walks up to Jesus and says, hey, uh, how, how are you going to pay the taxes? And Jesus looks at Peter and says, go and catch a fish. And in that fish's mouth, you'll find a gold, gold coin and that'll pay our taxes. And like the story moves on. But if you can take any context clues from the rest of the gospel, Peter was gone for days. <laughs> trying to catch that one fish. <laughs> He's like, dang it, Jesus, you set me off on this mission that I can't accomplish. But here we go. Okay, so uh, uh, setting the scene again. They're going fishing. They catch nothing. Then they see a guy on the shore, and Peter realizes that it's Jesus. He jumps into the water and runs to him. He couldn't walk on the water anymore, by the way. I guess that uh, ability was only a one-time thing. (laughs) Once he doubted once, no more walking on water for you. So he gets out of the boat. And he's wearing, you know, like essentially not a dress, just like we say, like priests don't wear dresses, even though it's like one piece of cloth that goes from your head to your toe and covers everything. It's not a dress. So, you know, that's what Peter was wearing, right? He was wearing not a dress, but it was long enough that he had to like, you know, it says that he had to pull it up over his knees so he could run because there was, he was, you know, shin high water, right? And then the first, you would think, okay, so picture this in your mind. Everything you know about Jesus, everything you know about Peter. What do you think would happen in this moment of Peter doing all this, having all this effort and running towards the shore, getting out of the boat? You'd think there'd be this, at least I would, this great reunion with Jesus. They would hug and Jesus would be like, oh, thanks for coming out, bro. Like, let's, let's, let's go and change lives. No, Jesus, <laughs> again, kind of pokes fun at peter first thing out of jesus's mouth is bring some of the fish you just caught bring some of the fish you t- i've been out here all night i've got a- you can just picture peter like uh all i decided to do was run over here i had no other plans after that and you have caught me off guard and then like there's nothing else said and they're looking at each other. And you can, I can just imagine this moment, right? Like Jesus like, hey, come bring some of the fish you just caught. Peter's staring at him like, uh, not knowing what to do. And then Jesus kind of winks at him. Come have some breakfast. <laughs> That's literally Jesus' next line in the gospel in John chapter 21. Come have some breakfast. So Jesus was just pulling his, pulling his friend's legs. So the next time somebody yells at me for pulling their leg, I'm just, just going to say I was doing WWJD. What would Jesus do? Make fun of his friends. Okay. So, but he, he, here's one of the takeaways that I get from this story. Because a lot of times I feel like Peter. I feel like an idiot who like can't do like the things that I'm supposed to be good at, right? You know, he's supposed to be good at fishing. <laughs> you know? I'm supposed to be good at talking and I've been stumbling over my words for the last 10 minutes of this show. It's like, okay, I'm supposed to be good at this, but here's the deal. Jesus, I'm getting out of the boat. I'm running after you. I'm I'm pulling up my not dress so that I don't get wet. I run up to you. I'm giving all this effort. And then you just want to have breakfast. It's like, no, Jesus, like I want this extreme encounter with you. And I think the biggest thing we can take away from this story 
is that sometimes we're looking for that huge, that spectacular moment in our faith life with Jesus where it's going to change everything. But sometimes Jesus just wants to have a simple moment with us, to share in our life, to be a part of our breakfast. You know, I'm giving this talk at a retreat where there's a term now called a retreat high, where people, people, youth and adults, go on a retreat and they're high for Jesus. All's good. Everything's about God. I'm going to live for God. Everything's for him. And then two weeks later, they're like, wait, Jesus? Who? What? Oh, oh yeah, I remember him. <laughs> I met him a couple weeks ago. A lot of times we crave that Jesus hikes. It feels good to, and like those moments are special because it's like we can look back on those moments and say, I really and truly encountered God. But we can't live off the retreat high. Sometimes Jesus just wants to have breakfast with us. And then we get to the famous part of this story. It takes a pretty intense turn. The gospel says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? First of all, have you ever realized how odd of a, like an awkward of a question that is? Jesus either means, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than you love these other people? Which is an awkward question. It's like, hey, Sam, do you love me more than everyone else you know? That's an awkward question, right? Or it means, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than all these other people love me? Scholars have argued forever about which way he meant it. Either way, it's a weird question. Because it's like me walking up into, in front of a group of people. Hello, am I the prettiest man you've ever met? Uh... Uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, you just put somebody in an odd situation. So picture yourself being asked that question. Do you love me more than these? My initial reaction would probably be like, uh, what, like, you really want me to answer that? Like, what do you, like, kind of taking it back a little bit. So, but, but what Peter says is like, uh, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. So we got to get into this a little bit because I think a lot of people miss the meaning of this. A lot of times you'll hear homilies or talks on this and they'll say like, you know, where it's, I think this story has two meanings and we only get one of them. One of the meanings that I think is absolutely true is that Peter denied Jesus three times at the crucifixion. So this was kind of like confession where, where Jesus was letting Peter say, I love you three times to kind of negate that. Like, that's a cool idea. I like that a lot. But what we miss in English is that the Greeks were better at love than Americans are. We have two words for love in our modern day culture. We have the word love, which is like, yeah, I, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love people, my friends and this kind of thing. And then we have the word, especially in dating culture, like, where it's like you love them. You just can't say it yet. Yeah, I like you. <laughs> you know, right? So we have uh, two words for love. The Greeks had 13. Two of those words are used in this story. One is agape or agape. I don't know how to pronounce Greek, and neither do you, so shut up and leave me alone. Okay, so we're going to go with agape. And this is like the, the full, complete love. Like lay down your life for the other love it's all about the other person, like wanting the good for the other and not worrying about yourself. That's agape love. Philios love is brotherly love. You think of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love? That's, it comes from the Greek word, Philadelphia, philios. Uh, so here's the deal. What we miss when we hear this story in English is that Jesus, all three times, he says, Simon, son of John, son of John do you agape me? And every time, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I filios you. He answers with a different word. So Jesus is saying, has already shown, I love you with an agape love. I will lay down my life for you. I want what's best for you. I don't care about me. I'll give up my life for you. He asks him again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I filios you. Jesus says, tend my sheep. 
He asked him one last time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And then Peter was distressed that he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I filios you. Still not able, even as he's heard the word agape three times, still not able to say that word. Because he was in this point in his journey with Jesus that he wasn't agape love. And this is why I love Peter. Because I feel like most of us, myself at a lot of, most, most of the times, if we're being honest, and I think a lot of you driving on, we filios Jesus. Like, yeah, Jesus, I love you as a brother. We'll hang out a couple times a week. But I don't know if I want to, like, completely give my whole life up to you. I like these things I have on the side, kind of away from church. But here's two interesting things about how this story goes, about Jesus' response to this. Because think about if you said, I love you to somebody, and they were like, yeah, you're all right. (laughs) You're pretty cool. Or like the famous Star Wars one, Han Solo. Princess Leia says to Han Solo, I love you. And Han Solo says, I know. (laughs) Right? Like that's, how frustrated would you be if you heard that from somebody? Jesus, instead of being frustrated, continues to say, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. Even though Peter only filios Jesus, Jesus still says, you have a mission from me to go shepherd my people. So go do it. You don't have to be 100% sold out for Jesus to start making an impact for his kingdom. And the story ends with Jesus looking at Peter and signifying how he, how he, Peter, is going to be a martyr. Jesus knows and trusts that Peter will continue to grow, and we know that he does. Peter continues to grow as a Christian, as a leader, and ultimately lays down his life for the bride of Christ, for the church, is a martyr for Jesus. So ultimately, he got to that agape love. So in your life today, what are the parts in your spiritual life where you agape Jesus? And what are the filios where you filios Jesus? And how can he work on you in that this week? We'll be right back with Anthony D'Ambrosio. Welcome back to Forte Catholic. This is your host, Taylor Schroll. Hanging out in the studio and on the phone with a guy I've been looking forward to speaking to for quite some time now. He's a good dude, and he's kind of an enigma. I've heard a ton about him. I've seen him all over the internet. We have dozens of mutual friends, and I've never met him before. Uh, Mr. Anthony D'Ambrosio. Anthony, how you doing tonight, sir? Man, Taylor, that was like such a... I've never been called an enigma before. I uh, I just feel so flattered. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I only know that word because of Batman. So I'm not actually smart. I just play video games, which is what we were talking about before we came on the air. Yeah, yeah. Great segue. Bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> A segue to the things that uh, the listeners didn't hear. Wonderful. Great radio, Taylor. Okay, so <laughs> you're, you're a man a man of many talents. I know that you, you started in, in youth ministry, um, I, I've, I've been able to keep up with you doing that kind of stuff. I know you're an artist. Uh, the first way that we really got connected was through Catholic Creatives. There's a Catholic Creatives group on Facebook, Catholic Creatives podcast, and uh, you and, and you're, it's kind of a family matter. So why don't you tell us a little <laughs> bit about Catholic Creatives and why you guys got started? Okay, so I started doing youth ministry. I graduated college. I went to seminary and graduated college with a philosophy degree, left seminary, and didn't know what else to do with my life. So I landed in youth ministry as is the career path for many uh, similar college degree uh, philosophy grads. And I, while I was there, I started freelancing as a writer for an agency that did some really cool stuff in Dallas. And while I was connected to those two worlds, I just saw such a, an abundance mindset in the startup and entrepreneurial and creative world that just wasn't present in the Catholic world. It was this sense of perpetual, I don't know, like we could never change the things that we complain, want, you know, are complaining about. And so uh, 
in the creative world, there was this, well, if we can just get a good group of people together and think it through, then we can fix the problems and we might even get rich doing it, you know? <laughs> like, so I found in the work that I was doing with, uh, with the agency, a model for like how I could possibly, I guess, help to, to bring that sort of mindset to the Catholic church. So we, as a group of friends who were just talking on a Monday morning, I don't know if you know, uh, Nick Gutierrez, yeah, 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 uh, Edmund I do. Mitchell, but I was meeting with those guys and we just were like so frustrated about a lot of things and we're complaining about them and just habitually doing so. And then we're like, why don't we just, why don't we just do something? That's so what rare. Exactly Most of the time something? people in the church just <laughs> complain about stuff and don't, oh, let's fix it. It's like, nope, I like complaining too much. So pr- props yeah. to you. <laughs> <laughs> so we decided to put together a, like a meetup that was just like an agency sprint over uh, bad bulletins. So we're just like, hey, everyone that we know that is uh, that thinks that bulletins suck, like, why don't you guys all come and we'll just talk about that. But also, rather than just complaining, we'll try and talk about how we could possibly fix it. And the uh, people drove from all over the U.S. to come to this like one night meetup uh, where we we're talking about bad bulletins because it was just such a novel thing. And uh, online conversation happened out of that. And so uh, was the genesis of the group. I heard you had 9 million people at that initial meeting. Is that correct? Do I have cr- uh, correct no. news? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was a little bit smaller than that. No, we, I think we just had about 25 people. It uh, wasn't, anything, wasn't anything special. <laughs> it was just important, important uh conversation that was developed out of that but it's okay so it's just nine million people that don't like church bulletins but but only only a few made the drive i i understand <laughs> i understand now so yeah so uh one thing that you said is that you were saying that you saw this difference in like this quote-unquote secular world and in the church in regards to art and design uh, and i know that this wasn't always the case back in you know the, right. the middle ages the in the renaissance the church was the biggest proponent of art. So like, what do you think happened and why is art even important? Why should the church be uh, focused on design and art and all these things that, that you and your group are doing? Oh man, I could, I could just riff on this for so long, man. Uh, I'll try and be concise and you just do your radio personality thing and cut me off or navigate me around if, uh, if I just go off too far, but all right, well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay. So I'll start with the ingredients of what goes into making Renaissance happen and then talk about why I think, um, that stopped in the church and then what, why I think right now we're poised for a new Renaissance, which is sort of the the MO or the mission of Catholic creatives. Um, so all of the moments of Renaissance, and there have been many of those awakenings uh, in the church, they've all happened with a, a new movement of unity where people from different backgrounds, especially people who are talented and artistic, are connecting with people who are part of the clergy and people who are part of uh, the secular sort of business world. Uh, All three of those ingredients are absolutely necessary for a Renaissance to happen. Uh, All of them have to be brought together in prayer and in community uh, and in mission. And so in the building of the temple, you see this happening again with David, the king, coming together with the priests and also with the artisans. And God is very, like, he's anointing this clashing of all of these different uh, and this collaboration of all these different sort of types of people in, in one place. And the same thing was true in the Renaissance where in the Italian Renaissance, where the church was out front anointing artists to speak the gospel in beauty with their art, with their music, uh, like the creation of, of beautiful worship spaces um, to worship in, but there were also the, the Medici's there's, there's businesses who came in and also said, we recognize that this takes an incredible amount of money and investment. So we're going to partner and actually make this kind of 
uh, investment here uh, as patrons of the arts. And all of those three working together, living together in community, uh, were what were able to make such a, a prolific and uh, incredibly forward-thinking church uh, the norm. And I think that what happened, and this is this is now me moving out of any sort of um, real real authority of history into just my conjecture, but. I think that what happened was the Protestant Reformation. And what I would say to that is I love, so most of my friends are Protestants. And uh, one of the things that happened during that Reformation that was really sad, that saddens them and also saddens me, because I think the whole church lost this in a way at the time, was that we moved from a focus of, from sacrament to a focus on word, right? the Protestant world shifted everything from the human interaction of sacramental uh, and artistic, physical experiences of God towards a focus on what was written in Scripture. And they, the motivation of kind of the whole culture was to try and remove as much physicality as possible. Let's get rid of anything on the walls that's not scripture. Let's get rid of like, we just want beige, everything beige, square, that's it, you know? And still, when you go to most Protestant churches, that is the standard uh, experience that you'll have. Very square, very beige, very um, straightforward and simple and not anointed, not symbolic, uh, not in many general ways of the word beautiful, although they are getting in their worship experience into lights and, and a lot of other technological advancements in beauty that I think are really interesting. But point being that uh, the church followed that culturally uh, as it tried to counter it by playing the same game where we started really focusing on apologetics and responding to the Protestants in the same language and the same method that the, the Protestant Reformation sort of set out as the standard. Uh, we're arguing about scripture and whether things are scriptural or whatever, um, rather than conveying experiences, sacramental experiences, physical experiences of God. Uh, and I think that is what we need to recover as uh, the steps and ingredients for the new Renaissance, is to become a church that's focused rather than on giving a defense of God and of our, our faith, uh, giving a presentation or an experience of that sacramentally and physically to the world. And I, it's great because like, I hear you saying all this stuff and I don't know a lot of this stuff. I don't know the history, a lot of the history, especially in the arts. And that's where your expertise comes in. And as I hear you talking about what made the Renaissance happen back then, you know, you talked about the businessmen, the artists and the money bags coming together. And I, as you were talking about that, I was like, it's almost like that's exactly what Jesus wanted with this whole body of Christ thing. Because if you do that, yeah. now we've got the head, we've got the hands, and we've got the pocketbooks like all together <laughs> to accomplish, right. uh, you know, and, and gr- accomplish His goals and and grow the kingdom. And I think you got first of all when you said the word awakening, like there's been an awakening, I immediately thought of Star Wars, and that got me super excited. Yeah. There's another movie yeah. that I'm pretty excited about that you guys are working on <laughs> called Eight Beats, this Eight Beats project. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this project that you and your friends at the Catholic Creatives are working on together? Yeah, so in March, we had this summit where we invited together many different leaders in the community to come and have this intimate weekend of community building where we could talk in person about a lot of the things that we had been talking about online. And the subject was the new Renaissance. And during that time, we really discovered together that if we wanted to enter into real community, which was what was needed, if a new Renaissance was going to happen, we had to work together in some way. We couldn't just, you know, talk about it and be isolated in our own kind of little bubbles uh, or regions of the U.S., we had to actually be in some way committed to each other through a project and a collaboration. So what came out of that was uh, a film. We decided we wanted to make a film because that is a film as a medium is one of the most collaborative experiences that or mediums that 
exists. You need musicians, you need uh, business people, you need lawyers, you need actors, you need directors, you need film people who are really good at the camera. You need people who are like super awesome at the technical technical side of stuff. Just like all of these different mediums are co- coming together in one uh, in one thing. So that was why we picked a movie. And also because we just know that film can speak to a person and give someone an empathetic experience that uh, is just so formative. So uh, what we picked to structure this, the, the way we modeled it was every, we decided to move and divide the, the U.S. into eight regions. And each region was in charge of creating a team to create one short film about one of the Beatitudes. So there's eight regions of the U.S. each producing, creating one story uh, that is going to be brought together into a larger compilation of eight short stories, each exemplifying one of the teachings of Christ in the Beatitudes. And uh, we're really excited about it. Some of the most amazingly talented artists and filmmakers and entrepreneurs and uh, just creatives in the U.S. and Canada are all working on this thing. And uh, it's uh, already become such an amazing kind of groundbreaking experience for us. So we're looking forward to being able to show the full thing to the world. I've been excited about it for a while. I've been kind of keeping up with it for the last few months. So obviously wanting to get you on the show. And I've gotten some other of my friends that are like helping out in this in this uh Texas region, the Southern region, like you were talking about, right. that are excited about the project as well. And I've been, you know, watching some of y'all's promo videos, and it just looks so good, man. And, and I, I can see the collaboration. And what's really neat is like I can see people working on. It. It's like, oh, I know him, I know him. Don't know him, but I want to. You know, like it's just yeah. an exciting project. And I think it's interesting that y'all picked the Beatitudes because you're using this kind of like quote unquote new media and this like this new renaissance, this new Catholic art and collaboration. Uh, why start here? Why start with the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes are so approachable by people who are both Catholic and who are completely not because they're, they're messages of hope for those who are suffering. I think that if you're going to start with evangelization, like, Man, start with those who are suffering. Speak really truly about that because there is nothing in the modern world that gives an answer or a real true blessing or a piece of redemption that is satisfying for someone who's suffering. So we picked that because we think that a lot of people in the modern world, not just Catholics, are going to want to hear kind of the messages that, uh, that the Beatitudes are speaking. Blessed are those uh, who grieve. Blessed are those who are pure of heart, pure of heart, right? Like these are just, um, they're blessings that speak really truly to someone who is not feeling powerful or is not feeling really like on top of the world right now, right? Real problems that our age is facing. So that's why. Well, man, I'm super excited for the film. I'm also, you've given me a little bit of hope because as an artist, like I, I'm, I'm a musician, but like when it comes to like making something pretty, I, I, yeah. I can't write my name legibly. Nevertheless, like draw a stick figure. Like I just can't do it. But you said something that gave me hope. In your list of all the people working on the film, you said lawyers. I was like, if lawyers can be creative, I can be creative. So, oh, uh, yeah, man. so uh, we got no, about. Uh, how can people get connected with the movie? How can they uh, find out when it's coming on? How can they uh, get involved with the project? How can they uh, do whatever they want to to really support this project? Well, one, uh, I just want to like affirm you too. Like you are a creator by just making this thing happen, and it takes like creativity is not just art, right? It's like making something that was not there. That is the way we participate in God's creative uh, faculty. It was, it's what makes us human. So you are absolutely one of us, man. Thanks. Uh, I'll, I'll pay you for that you. compliment that I told you to say yeah. uh, after we get off the air. <laughs> okay, so where people can find us. So 8beatsmovie.com is our website. And through that, you can donate there or uh, you can find us, just Google us, uh, Google Indiegogo which is our crowdfunding campaign, Indiegogo 8 Beats Movie, uh, or just Google 8 Beats Movie and you'll find us. Um, the the Indiegogo campaign is now just doing pre-orders, so if you would like to pre-order it 
as a way to become a patron, become one of those Medici's that's a, a part of our creative community and is helping to, to fund the project, then uh, you can do it there. Uh, you could also just, uh, if you know us on Facebook or know me or want to get connected with the Catholic Creatives group, um, find us at catholiccreatives.com and just shoot an email through the contact form there and we'll loop you in. Well, thanks, Anthony. Thanks for spending some time with us. It's great to finally get connected with you. And uh, God bless you and, and all your Catholic Creatives group and for this 8 Beach project. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, having me. It's been right. uh, an honor. All right, God bless, man. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Forte Catholic, our third and final segment of the day. I cannot tell you how much I've been looking forward to this segment. This segment became an idea on October 29th. October 29th, I was leading worship for Mass at Christ the Good Shepherd Chapel. Uh, Sam, our producer, is one of the youth ministers there at the parish. And I showed her the reading that day, and this segment came out of it. So let's just do a little bit of intro here. Uh, As a musician for Mass, your job is to to enhance the prayer experience and connect the responses and songs to the scriptures of the day, the Masses, the prayers, you know, that to, to let people enter more into prayer. So we pick songs out that, that line up with things and connect uh, just to make it a more full and fluid experience. You know, you've been to masses where the music was great and like you connected with the mass better, maybe even subconsciously. And you've been to masses where the music was terrible and you're like, I'm not sure if there's a God. You know, like you leave and you're like, I don't know. I feel farther from God than, than before I went in. So sometimes the job of a liturgical, a liturgical musician, a musician for the liturgy, sometimes that job's easy. There are great readings on love or common verses. Like, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, the, the, all the readings tend to have a theme, right? It's like God, you know, the God's a good father. Guess what I'm doing for the offertory hymn? He is a good, good father, right? Like that's pretty easy, right? Or like the, the verses, uh, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Right? Like, there's all these, like, songs that go with it. And there's there's so many great and terrible worship songs that, that can fit these readings, right? Other times, there are scriptures where the job of a liturgical musician gets quite difficult. The last few weeks have been a few of those times. <laughs> Where I'm, I read the readings before Mass, and I'm like, okay, I need to pick songs that connect with these readings so people can enter into the Mass more. One of the other reasons is, like, you can think of it. A lot of times, if I ask you what the gospel was at Mass on Sunday, and you went at 11 o'clock Mass, and I ask you at 2 p.m. what the gospel was, you're like, I don't know. But if the liturgical musician picked a song that connected to that gospel, that song's going to be in your head till Wednesday. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, 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 the song was about good, good father. Oh, yeah, it was about, like, God being our father. And it's like, oh, okay. So, like, that, just little subconscious things, that's the liturgical musician manipulating you to be a holier person. That's my job. It's what I'm here for. <clears throat> so, sometimes I can't do that very well. Because God doesn't help me out sometimes. <laughs> sometimes there are scriptures that have no worship songs written for them. Sometimes there are scriptures that are so weird that no one would ever think to write a worship song for them. Forte Catholic is here to fill in that gap. After talking to Sam about this, she's, I, I was telling her, how am I supposed to pick songs for this? She said, what you should do is on the show, anytime there's a weird reading, Write a song for it, and we'll do this segment called Unpublished Worship Songs. 
So we'll have a cool intro at some point, but uh, we don't have it now. We have this whole intro story. You're welcome for its greatness and uh, B minus comedic value. Okay, so on November 5th, the first reading was from Malachi. And I promise you, you have never heard a song with these lyrics. So without further ado, the inaugural time that we do unpublished worship songs, here is November 5th's first reading from Malachi in song. I will send my curse upon you. Even your blessings will make a curse. You've turned aside from my way. And of course, men need a falter. Therefore, you've made void the covenant of Levi. Lord of hosts, therefore I have made you contemptible and base before all people. I will send a curse upon you, and even your blessing will make a curse. So there you have it. <laughs> the first unpublished worship song from the book of Malachi. The Lord saying to you, I will send a curse upon you. Even the blessings, even the good things in your life, I will make them a curse. <laughs> oh, that Lexus you just bought? Doesn't work now. <laughs> it's just a really fancy ornament for your driveway. Doesn't work. Because you've turned aside from the way, you have made void the covenant of Levi. If you know anything about God and covenants, the whole theme of covenants in the Old Testament is that God makes a covenant with his people, this bond that cannot be broken because God will never break his promise. And people, we always seem to mess it up, but he will never break it. And at this point, he's so frustrated, he's like, yep, you avoided this one. <laughs> like That just doesn't happen. They really made him mad. So he says... I have made you contemptible. It's a fancy word for no one likes you. <laughs> like This is terrible. So there you go. The other irony of this is, so obviously this wasn't a song at mass. There's a lector reading this, which is just as awkward, right? Hello, all of my friends and congregation. I will send a curse upon you. It's just absolutely fantastic. If you don't think mass is enjoyable or comedic, you are looking at it wrong or not paying attention. One of two. Um, the irony of this is right after the lector reads this, the psalm is next where I actually do sing that part. And it's uh, the psalm for that week is in you. I have found my peace. Oh, really? I'm not sure if I'm going to find my peace after you just said, no one's going to like me and my Lexus isn't going to work. So, so here's the deal. We've got another one. That one I think was okay. This next song might be the greatest thing I've ever done. I don't want to. I don't want to. I, I don't want to shoot too high, but I don't want to get your hopes up. But I will never accomplish anything better than what you are about to hear. This is from the reading on October 29th, the first reading at mass on Sunday, October 29th, from the Book of Exodus. Here we go. shall not molest or oppress, molest or oppress an alien, for you were once aliens, yourself in the land of Egypt, you shall not wrong any widow or orphan, cause if you do, they will cry out to me. And I will hear, hear them And my wrath will flare up And I 
own wives will be widows and your children orphans, says the Lord, who kills with the sword. And you shall not molest or oppress, molest or oppress an go october 29th first reading put to song you shall not molest or oppress an alien or god will kill you with the sword <laughs> that's my bible right there i love this thing uh first another odd thing about this reading think about kids reading this like the kids in mass they don't know that alien means immigrant don't molest or oppress an alien it's like uh, Okay, if I ever come across that scenario, I'll be sure not to do it because then I'll be a, my wife will be a widow and my kids will be orphans. I love the Bible so much. It's so good. Oh, man. It says the Lord who kills with the sword. That's the greatest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Okay, so we're all here at Fourth the Catholic, all about making Catholicism fun again. Making these uh, crazy readings fun again. Um, so a lot of times we do these bits and we do random stories or whatever about the scriptures that may or may not be funny, but I think they're hilarious. So uh, when I go speak and I talk on the radio, or I go talk to a youth at a, at a retreat or whatever, like I did this past weekend at St. Teresa's in Sugarland with my friend Joseph Mastrangelo, who's been on the show before. I, I, one of the things I like to get across, really no matter what talk I'm giving, is that the scriptures are alive, the scriptures are enjoyable, they're entertaining, they, and, and they, they bring life to our spiritual lives, right? The, 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 a lot of people think it's just this old book that's boring and that's like irrelevant now. I want to negate literally every single one of those and make it something that people enjoy and something that is beneficial for them because the scriptures have just been so beneficial in my life. So I was given this talk about, uh, about fire and keeping, keeping our fire of faith ablaze. There's that whole, there's that whole scripture about fan into fan into flame, the faith that which, which you have been given. I, I don't know why I continue giving talks on that scripture because it might be the biggest tongue twister scripture of all time. Fan into flame, the gift of faith, right? Got it. I'm trying not to cuss on the radio. Okay, so <clears throat> I was I was talking about fire and how there's there's this image of fire all throughout the Old Testament. I want to focus in on one of them because I was telling this story, and it's one of my favorite stories in the entire book of scriptures. And most people don't know it. It's about this guy named Elijah, and Elijah is a prophet for God. He uh, feels alone a lot. He kind of feels like he's one of the only. Israelites, Jewish people, that's still following God. It's really funny to see him complain about that in, in the Old Testament, all this kind of stuff. But the story that I want to focus on involves fire. So there's Elijah, who's a prophet for God, for Yahweh, the one true God. And there are these uh, false prophets, about 200 of them or so, that are prophets for Baal, B-A apostrophe A-L. When we were studying Baal in, in my Old Testament class, his, uh, that god, that false god's wife name was Asherah. So earmuffs, kids, this, this, uh, this joke may not be appropriate for you, but our slogan for that class was, we'll have a Baal kicking your Asherah. Okay, so there you go. There's a little uh, Old Testament joke for you that you can use with your friends to really impress them and weird them out. <clears throat> so what is this story about the fire? Elijah's there with these false prophets, and they want to have like a God battle, like whose God is the most powerful, whose God is real. So they're out in the middle of the desert, and they set up these big fires. If you, you can think of like a bonfire, right, where it's all this wood all stacked up, and they have these, these two kind of setups, one for Elijah and one for this huge group of false of prophets of Baal. The rules of this game is that the, uh, each group is going to have a chance to call down, to have their God, talk to their God, to call down fire upon these 
stacks of wood. So Elijah, who again, you think this old Old Testament prophet who was kind of grumpy. I love how he reacts to these prophets because he lets them go first. They start running around and like cutting themselves and like doing all these weird like spiritual rituals that they were doing. And they're running around for hours, hours and hours, like running around the running around the not fire with all this wood, calling down their God. And Elijah's standing over there. Again, I love the Bible because it, it, it says I can do stuff like this. Elijah's like, hey, prophets, yell louder. Maybe your God is hard of hearing. Oh, hey, yell a little louder. Maybe he's, he's far away and can't hear you. And my favorite one, hey, prophets, may, maybe your God is uh, relieving himself. Uh, yell a little louder and maybe he'll help you. Like that, it's just ridiculous, right? And then all of us, you know, of course, that God isn't real, so nothing happened. And then it's Elijah's turn. And to add insult to injury, out in the middle of the desert, before he calls down fire, he tells people to dump their water out onto onto the wood. Dump all their water onto it. I don't know if you've ever tried to start a fire. It's hard enough to do. I'm not very manly. You can ask my friends at the Catholic Man Show. They're way manlier than I am. I didn't go camping with them because I didn't want to feel like I was the only girl on the trip. So um, I don't know if you've ever tried to start a fire, but it's hard enough on its own. Nevertheless, trying to start a fire with wet wood. So they're standing out there in the middle in the middle of the desert, by the way. What do you need in the desert? Water. He just made a pour it all onto this fire. So he call of course he, he talks to God, and what does God do? God shows up, shows his power, shows the power in 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 the fire. We've seen the power of what fire can do. It has the power to destroy, it has the power to cleanse, it has the power to do a lot of things. And Elijah calls down fire, God shows up to truly show that he is real and that he's powerful. The next story after that is one of my favorites. We can't get into it today because we don't have time. We'll talk about it next week. And speaking of next week, one of my good friends and friends of the show will be our guest next week. His name is J.P. Quinn. You might, you might not know him, but we here at the show know him very well. He's known as the man who prank phone called us in the studio a couple of weeks ago and got scared of our producer, Sam. Um, so we'll talk about him being a crybaby. I'm just kidding. Um, he's a great guy. One, a friend of mine. I play video games with him every week and he's one of our supporters on Patreon. He's really like sciencey smart. Going to be talking about how to combine science and the faith. Speaking of Patreon, if you like the show and want to help support us here at the show and for the work that we put into this and want to help feed my kids, go to patreon.com slash Forte Catholic. You'll get stuff in return and we'll get some money. Thanks. And we'll see you next week. Say it.